Welcome to episode 171 of Cowboys Right for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. How you doing, man? Um, let's just let's just get this out of the way. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Um, not because it's not important, and not because I want to trivialize it. Trivialize it. But we've got a fantastic interview with Oklahoma State head soccer coach Colin Carmichael, and I don't want to take away from that. Um, and it's a really good interview, and I want people to stick around and listen. But I also don't want to completely ignore everything that's going on. So I'll say this. Um, we have tweets from players and coaches and those associated with Oklahoma State in an article on the site right now. Um, I have written out some of my thoughts on the site as well, if you want to go and read those. I have talked before my latest episode on the 1012 podcast about some feelings. I have been talking with friends. I have been talking with my wife. And it's not that I'm tired of talking about it, but I I, I want to make sure that if we're going to, that I, I, am, I am fully prepared. Um, I think what I'll say is this, and I'll make this about me a little bit. Personally, um, I would say I, I have not been the best person and that when it comes to what we're dealing with, um, I would say that I have been at times part of the problem using the excuses that we as, I mean, whites make a lot. Um, it's their fault. It's their problem to fix. It's not that bad. Um, pointing to the other things going on, looting and riots and those trying to create chaos and trying to ignore the topic at hand um, and and being angry at the term white privilege, like it, I'm supposed to view that as I, my life is perfect because I'm white. Um, my friends and I had a nice chat today in our, in our text group and the biggest takeaway I've had through all this and one I shared with them um, was that White privilege is a real thing. I have it. You have it. Any white male born in America has it. And it's not about what we have that's better than anyone else. Um, It's what African-Americans in this country do not have. My life's not perfect. We all have problems. We all have things we'd like to be better. It doesn't mean by being white that we are wealthier or better better off but that our, our our situations in life are awesome it does mean that it is easier for me to get a job because i am white it does mean that i don't have to teach my daughters um, when teaching them to drive how to properly handle the cops so that i don't i'm not afraid of getting shot if i see an officer i and look i'll go with the extreme measure here if I go and and murder 20 people, I am going to be well better taken care of by the police than an African-American who was accused of using a fake $20 bill. I don't know a better example than that. I view my white privilege as an opportunity to be part of the solution because that is the power that that gives me. And it's a responsibility that I take very seriously now. Um, It is a responsibility that I'm going to carry on to set the example that needs to be set for my daughters. You cannot sit quietly. You cannot see it happen next to you and say, oh, it's not my place. 
You cannot hear someone say something and say, I don't want to get involved. You have to have conversations you don't want to have with friends and family and not go, well, they're older. That's just how they are. They'll die off and it'll change. It doesn't just change because people stop because the older generation is gone. It doesn't change until we change and we do everything in our power to make sure that those coming behind us, our children and the next generation do it better than we did earlier than we did. So that's my latest two cents. Um, I'm sorry if I've upset some people, but this is, that's too bad. I, 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 we have to stop worrying about our inconvenience and discomfort um, when people are being murdered in the streets in broad daylight because I don't care about your discomfort and I don't care about mine anymore. I'll keep my comments as brief as I can because I don't want to take away from our interview with Coach Carmichael. Um, it, he took some. He was gracious with his time with us the other day and uh, I really I want that to be the focus of this episode, but I do feel like it is important that we at least address this in some capacity. So if you follow me on Twitter, um, you know that I very much hashtag stick to sports. That is not to in that is not me trying to take away from or trivialize or ignore what goes on in our world. Please understand that I am fully aware and I take note of what goes on in the world. Uh, but I choose to post about just sports for my own sanity and for the platform that I have with CRFF and others that I just like to talk about that. That's how I use my social media. So there are other people that don't, and that's your prerogative. That's how I use mine. But over the weekend and over, you know, seeing everything that, that's come across our, our timelines as, you know, for the millions of people that have social media, I felt like I finally, like I had to, I had to break out of that at least a little bit. And, Say, talk about some of these things and we need to have some more discussions and I needed to not just do that anymore and I, I think that was my kind of my biggest takeaway that sure I can talk about sports majority like it's what I do it's that's my life that's how I keep myself sane but you have to have some of these uncomfortable conversations you have to post thought-provoking things you have to be able to have discussions with people on these platforms in order if, for us to find to get out of you know to be better just human beings man it's it's tough but the bottom line is you may not see me tweet all the time you about this you may not see me commenting on everything but understand that i am doing my best to be a better human being to everyone and i'm having conversations with all walks of life about this so that i can come on the other side of this and not and not just be an innocent bystander and be able to help anyone that i can Uh, so with that, I think we're going to hashtag stick to sports for the rest of the way here. Um, again, huge thank you to Coach Carmichael. Very, very excited to have him on the show. Love this program. Love Oklahoma State soccer. Um, great time talking with him. If you stuck with us this far, thank you. Um, we understand that some people probably haven't, and that's okay as well. Um, if you didn't want to listen, we hope you fast forwarded and, and, and enjoyed this interview because it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Really a treat to have him on. Um, it's kind of my, my wish list trifecta of having him, um, obviously Chris Young, who we've had on already. And then hopefully we can get uh, coach Gajewski on uh, at some point this summer as well. That's uh, the three women's teams that I just 
they're so good and they're fun to watch. And I love the opportunity to, to promote them to the Oklahoma State audience. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, we'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Then we'll hear our conversation with Coach Colin Carmichael. Philip and I are now joined by uh, Colin Carmichael, the head coach of Oklahoma State women's soccer. He's been with the program since uh, its inception in 1996 and has been the head coach for the past 14 seasons starting in 2006. And he is joining us now. Thank you so much, Coach. We are very excited to have you on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, guys. So um, I want to start with you know, the, the, I, I've really been a fan of, of the job that you've done, uh, you and and the assistant coaches as well, in building this program into one that I think is, is a top 25 program nationally. Uh, you guys are consistently winning, uh, consistently competing in the Big 12, uh, making it to postseason on a regular basis. Um, what would you say you attribute the most to the success of the program and where it's at right now? Well, there, there, there's a lot of factors, I think, you know, for any successful collegiate program in any sport, um, you know, it starts by having good players. Um, you know, you can be a great coach and you can do a lot of great things, but if you don't have the players that can perform, uh, you're not going to win many games. So we've been uh, fortunate, our staff and myself have worked very hard in the recruiting aspect to try to make sure we get the right kids in here and kids that can help us compete at this level. And, you know, when you look back now, and when I think back, some of the names that have, that have played here and, you know, the level of players, the All-Americans and the now professional players and players that have played at the World Cup. It's, it's quite amazing to think, uh, you know, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, we were able to bring these world-class athletes through here. So first and foremost, having good players. And uh, of course, our staff, I've been very fortunate throughout the year to be part of uh, some incredible staffs and incredible people that have, that have helped build this thing. And, and the, the administration, you know, without the support of the athletic director and uh, the associate athletic directors and all the support staff, you, you, you can't do it by yourself, that's for sure. So a lot of different things, and we're just very fortunate that we've got a lot of the things in place that allows the, the platform to go and be successful. Yeah, Coach, what's, what's it been like to see the progression of the program? Obviously, you were here during the first year in 1996, not only as you know records and on the field and everything like that, but to see the, you know, the new stadium and you know, how much is being poured into the program what's that been like to see over your 24 years here yeah it's been an incredible journey for us you know uh, Karen and I both got here in 96 and you know we played out on the those intramural fields out off of McElroy um, you know and they, they, they actually slant they're not even level and so you know we laughed at our first season we played on a field that wasn't that was sloped um, there was no bleachers no rooms um, I don't think there was restrooms and you know to go from that just basically trying to survive to the last two years playing in Neil Patterson Stadium, which is the easily the number one soccer facility in the country, uh, collegiate soccer facility in the country. It's uh, it's been quite a quite a transition, and uh, yeah, you kind of have to pinch yourself sometimes, and you know think, wow, how fortunate are we, uh, you know, to have what we have now, and um, you know you think back to those times, and we had some great times. Don't get me wrong, but I'd much rather uh, be in the situation we're in today than what we were in '96. That's for sure. So let's talk a little bit about the stadium because it's a it's a beautiful facility, as you said, one of the best in the country as far as collegiate soccer uh, facilities go. What kind of impact have you seen that have on the program? Obviously, that, that's that's the kind of thing anyone would love to have, and I, I've seen some other ones. Um, Louisville has a very nice uh, stadium, um, but that is such a a big deal. And, and anytime I've ever talked to 
any coach or anyone involved with the team, they always talk like those facilities matter. So what kind of impact has, has that stadium had as far as the program since it, since its completion? Yeah. You know, the, the immediate impact for us is just the, the immediate pride that our kids had in getting to play at a stadium that level, you know, um, we've had some great teams here, some great players and, you know, they, they didn't get to experience the, the, the thrill of coming out there in front of, two, 3,000 people and being in the locker room and all those things. So the immediate impact was just the, the sense of pride and that our kids, you know, you got to see them kind of like, well, this is for us. Are you kidding me? And that, that was really an awesome thing for us to see in the current players. Um, recruiting, of course, um, it's the lifeblood of any program. And, you know, we used to show our recruits, we take them to the West End Zone in football, we'd show them, you know, the, the, where, where we, the dining hall where we eat our meals, we'd show them the weight room, Gallagher, and then we'd, we'd take them over to soccer and kind of walk around a little bit. Well, now, of course, we meet them at the stadium. It's the first thing we show them, and it's the last thing we show them. And, you know, they're, they're, you just it's jaw-dropping. You just see their, their, their eyes get big and their, their mouths drop, and they, they can't believe that, you know, there's something that night just winning soccer. And, uh, you know, so the recruiting piece is, has been massive. And, you know, I'm a, I must say, without the vision of uh, Mike Holder, our athletic director, and without the support of the Patterson family, spearheaded by Neil, and continued on with his, his children, um, you know, none of that's possible. And we, we recognize that and we're so thankful. And I know our kids are so appreciative of, of, you know, what they get to do. And the funny thing to me is when the alums come back, they remind our kids that are playing in that stadium now how they had it. They won't <laughs> let them. I promise you that. <laughs> had to go uphill both ways. Literally, you had to go uphill on the on the old field, you know, uphill and downhill. So They make it sound like they had it so bad, you know, and, <laughs> I, they they had it pretty good, but this group now they they they've got it pretty special. Well, you you were talking about the kinds of players you've had and the impact they've had on on their program. Um, I want to talk a little bit about about JC Jones. Obviously, huge huge for her to be Oklahoma State's first um, sports person of the year. Um, talk to us kind of just about her and, and and how big you think this award was not only for her but but for the program itself. Yeah, I mean, I get a little emotional when I speak about JC. You know, she's, I'm going to miss that kid, uh, young lady now, I suppose. But I remember as a 16, 17-year-old recruit and watching her play with her club teams and coming on her official visit. So, you know, to see JC's growth, you know, she came in as sort of a, I wouldn't say timid, but, you know, a quieter freshman, just kind of doing her own thing and figuring things out. And uh, to watch her growth, to, to go from that to, being a team captain, to being, you know, one of the best assist leaders in the country, to being the president of the of SAC at OSU, and to be to be named the sports person of the year, female sports person of the year in the Big 12, first OSU uh, student athlete to get that award. It, it's it's amazing. It really is. And it's all credit to Casey. She's she's very motivated. She's very driven. You know, she she's very self she's very conscious. Um, She's not just a great soccer player. She wanted to be a great student. She wanted to be a great teammate and be a good person. And, you know, that a lot of that goes back to her family as well. You know, she had a great family upbringing. So, yeah, I mean, JC's one of the special ones. Um, I'm so proud of her. Um, can't wait to see what she does next, whether it's soccer-related or not. I'm sure she'll be very successful. And uh, I hope she's one that comes around a lot because um, I think as – as we bring in new players, you know, Jason's the kind of student athlete we want them to aspire to be. And um, 
we want to keep JC involved and hopefully her legacy can can have a lasting impression on a lot of these new players. So, uh, yeah, she's a special one. We're going to miss her. Over the course of your coaching career, has there been any maybe specific games or seasons as a whole that have stuck out to you above the rest as the ones you kind of point to as kind of the, the pinnacles of your career as a coach? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a few defining moments, I think. Um, you know, 2003, when we won the Big 12 tournament for the first time, made it to the NCAs for the first time. Um, that was a big moment for us because those first, you know, we talked about 96, sort of 96 to 2000, we were just trying to survive. I mean, we didn't have a facility. You know, we weren't fully funded. Um, we were just trying to trying to make it work, right? And um, in 2000, 2001, we had some, a pretty good recruiting class. And um, that class won the Big 12 tournament as juniors, I think it was. Um, and so that kind of put us on the map nationally. People knew we were getting better. Um, but that sort of got us going in the right direction, which allows you to go out and get better recruits and more, more quality players. And uh, so that, that stands out. It was a Nicky Witovich free kick in overtime that beat Missouri. And um, that, that's one I'll never forget. Um, <clears throat> playing against, uh, getting to host uh, NCAA Sweet 16 game and uh, uh, I think it was 2010, um, getting to play in the Sweet 16 here at home and in the Elite Eight. Um, you know, I never forget the Sweet 16 game. We were playing against Duke. And, um, you know, there was a big crowd gathering at our old stadium. And, you know, it was kind of standing room only. And there was a line as, as I was walking back to the – we didn't have locker rooms back then. So as I was walking back to the tent before kickoff, I looked down the street and you, you could see a line probably about a quarter mile long of people waiting to get into the stadium. And um, uh, Crystal Lopez, one of our players at that time, I pulled her aside. I go, Crystal, look at that. And she goes, is that for us? Are they coming here? And that, that was kind of a big moment for us getting to host a team of, you know, traditional, traditional powerhouse like Duke at home and beat them uh, to get to the elite eight and then play Notre Dame. And uh, that was, that was a big moment. And then uh, 2017 was big for me personally. You know, we hadn't won the big 12, I think since 2011, uh, we'd had competitive teams. We'd made the NCAA tournament. Um, but you know, there was just some things that weren't quite right. I think with the program, we just maybe didn't have the right blend or, you know, we just couldn't quite get back to the level we were hoping for. And in uh, 2016, we made a big commitment to, to try to get back to kind of the old school, sort of the hard work, the, the mentality of competing all the time. And, you know, we just tried to make a, the off-field culture a little bit stronger. And um, to go, you know, in 2016, at the end of the fall, we were not in a good place culture-wise. And to go from that to winning – the Big 12 uh, regular season in 2017 down in Austin, clinching at Texas, never a, never a bad thing. It was a nice feeling. So uh, that, those are some of the memories, I think, as a team that, that stand out to me for sure. Yeah, we Beffer was talking about, uh, obviously, Anna Beffer, who uh, we had on the show last week, was talking about that 2017, the win at, at Austin, and, and how big that was, especially for that that class who had gone through – some adversity and just, just kind of some struggles and the team wasn't reaching the level that they, that they felt that they should have. And, and to get that win and get that title, she said that was, that was, that was really huge for her. I think that was a, obviously it was a big moment for you as well, it seems. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and Anna was a big part of helping us turn the corner without question. Um, like I said, we, we just had some, we just didn't have the right blend. I think any coach will tell you the locker room has to be good if you want to have success on the field. And we had a lot of different factions, my, my, myself included, who, who could do things better and maybe weren't always on the same page. And, um, you know, there was just a big commitment 
going into that 2017 season to try to do things better from the players, from the coaches and everybody. And Anna was a huge part of that. She was a driving force. And yeah, um, you know, I was, I was really pleased personally. There was a lot of personal satisfaction because I think there was a little bit of doubt on the, the direction of maybe where the program was going at that time. Uh, but there was a lot of satisfaction for Anna Beffer and, you know, JC Jones, Lauren Tresfield, a lot of the players that we lead on, um, they came through for us. And um, yeah, those are, those are, I remember hugging Anna after the game. I remember big old bear hug. The two of us were just so happy. And uh, clearly that's a memory that sticks out for Anna. It certainly does for me as well. So, you know, we, we've had, as we mentioned with you, we've had Beffer on the show. We've had uh, Adriana French on the show, Bailey Burmester, three of your former players. And, and there's one thing that I think all three have kind of have pointed to is it's not just the connection that that you all have while they're there, um, that this is that it's obviously a, a family. Um, you spend more time with, with the team and the coaches than they do their own family often, uh, but really about the relationship that they have maintained with you after they've left the program. And, and I, I'm just, I think we all kind of assume as people who watch sports and are fans of teams that, oh yeah, players always stick to their alma mater and, and still stick with their coach. But I don't, I don't know it's, if it's as... As as regular as we all as we all think. So how, how big to you is maintaining the relationships and, and and even continuing to develop and build them over time with the, with these girls after they have left the program? Yeah, you know it's, it's it's huge, and I'm really glad to hear some of the former players say that we make an effort and that we try to engage because um, it's an area that we identified. You know, I don't know exactly when eight to ten years ago, six years ago, whatever it was that we were not doing a good enough job of uh engaging with the alums and um certainly wasn't intentional i think like like they do they they move on and they get busy you know ad francis trying to win championships in portland and you know bailey burmaster's full-time working on the sports news and you know she's she's busy and you know anna's starting her career so i think everybody gets caught up and we're the same you know we get caught up in the, the current group and trying to compete and uh it was an area I, I i wasn't happy with myself i felt like we didn't do enough and we've tried um, over the last five, six, seven years to do a better job of engaging and keeping them involved and, you know, tr trying at least to, to continue a relationship with those guys. And, you know, whenever they do come back, it's phenomenal for us. You know, Anna was uh, announcing on some of the soccer games at, at our stadium this year, and that was awesome. Every time we got to see her, it just kind of perked up. You know, she's, she's such a infectious person. She's a happy person. So it's it's always nice to welcome her back. And, you know, AD came back um, this past uh, Christmas and graduated. Uh, she got her degree. And so that was a huge moment for us to get to go over and celebrate AD. Um, Bailey came back and she gave one of the, the more interesting, uh, inspirational talks at practice. We invited Bailey to come talk to the current group. And we'll just say Bailey was a little more hardcore than some of these new players we have. And <laughs> they, they, their eyes kind of got wide open when she addressed them. But it was great, you know. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of respect there. So uh, it's something we'll continue to try to do better um, with the alums, but it is awesome to hear that they do feel a connection because we certainly are, are trying. We've had Bailey on this show twice. And from what you said, it's just incredibly, incredibly on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sheila, what I love about Bailey is there, there's nothing fake there at all. It's, she's going to tell you exactly how she feels. She was like that way as a player. You know, she came here as a walk-on from Georgia. We didn't know much about her. And uh, about two years in, you started going, man, this girl's got the butter. She's, she's tough. And, um, you know, she's going to let you know good, bad, or indifferent. You always know where you stand with her. And I love that about Bailey. I think it's great. So you talked about, you know, 
the team structure and the impact that that's had on, on seasons. I, I'm sure this is a hard thing to explain, and, I, and I'll let you just kind of do your best. But what do you think is is the balance in trying to find a good team structure? What is what does that look like, and is there a recipe for that? Well, it's hard. Um, you know, if it was easy, I think everybody would be would get along great in the locker room and everybody'd be happy all the time. It just doesn't happen. It's not real. Um, I think any, any coach will tell you that, but we always try to stress with our team is um, especially more recently, you know, we have 28 to 30 players on the roster, no matter what I want, only 11 play at a time. So it doesn't matter if I want you to play more or I'm on, you know, maybe I feel bad for somebody because they're not getting the minutes they want. It really doesn't. There's nothing I can do. I can't change the rules of soccer that say 11 play at a time. And obviously, if you want to compete and win, you earn those minutes. And so trying to balance the fact that everybody wants to play with you can balance that with letting kids know, look, you have a value even if you don't play. You know, you can still bring value to the team. You can be a great teammate. Um, You can be a motivational leader. You can be uh, inspirational to the team. You can work super hard in training to make sure the, the, the team are ready to win. I mean, there's a lot of value in those roles, and you can't have a successful program without people playing those roles. And so we've, we've really tried to stress that, that no matter what your role might be, and it can change throughout your career, but no matter what it is, in that moment, can you play your role to the best of your ability? If you can, we got a great chance to succeed. So that that's one piece. And I think the other piece and something – we kind of got away from and I won't bore you with the details, but you know, we built our program and we got successful on not getting the best players, but getting very good players who really had the same values as us. They wanted to work hard. They wanted to push themselves. You know, we used to laugh that we we'd go watch a youth game and go, wow, that's the best player. But look at this kid over here. She wants to kick her butt. We're going to recruit this kid because we probably couldn't get the national team player but we could get that other kid who's working so hard to beat her and maybe she's going to develop. Well, then we got successful and we started recruiting those. Wow. Look at that player. She's the best kid on the, on the field. And then I think we kind of got away from what we felt was important. And those kids didn't really buy in with the way we wanted things done. And it took us a cycle of maybe three or four years in recruiting to really emphasize trying to get those hardworking, super motivated disciplined kids um, because you know not in the recruiting as you get older you kind of learn I'm, I'm very honest with recruits and I tell them and their parents if you want to compete you like hard work you try to do things the right way you're going to think me and my staff are great people if you don't like those things you probably shouldn't come here because it's probably not going to be a good fit for you or us and um, I wish I'd learned about 15 years ago to be honest uh, but in the last five or six, it's something we've really stressed. We've passed on a lot of top recruits because we just felt like, you know, maybe they didn't have that same drive that we were looking for. And JC is a great example of that. She was a very, very good player. But I think JC would admit in youth soccer, she wasn't an elite starter that was being recruited by UCLA and Duke and Carolina. Um, but we saw something in JC. She had that determination. Hannah Webb. One of our team captains is an upcoming senior. Hannah recruited us more than we recruited Hannah. She just really wanted to be here. And, man, I'm so glad she did. She, she's, she's kind of the heartbeat of our team right now. So, you know, the, <clears throat> those are some things that I think are important if you want to have a group, you know, that 
are going to try and pull in the same direction because it's hard. It's, it's hard to keep 30 people happy in anything. And uh, sports is no different. Coach, for, for maybe those that don't follow the program as closely, that maybe they listen to this podcast, can you give us maybe a, just a quick preview of the 2020 season upcoming, maybe some players to watch, games that are going to be at Neil Patterson Stadium that people should come to, and what, what we can expect to see this season? Yeah, on, on the assumption that everything goes as planned, and that's what we're shooting for right now. Our, our kids report by July 1, preseason August 3rd, and then we kick off mid-August. So assuming everything's as planned, um, you know, starting with the schedule, you know, we, we've got Oklahoma and a Bedlam game. Um, we play them home and away, so obviously the, the, the home bedlam game will be huge and the stadium should be packed for that one. We've got Texas A&M coming here, uh, national power, former Big 12 foe that used to dominate the Big 12 before they got they, they went to the SEC. And uh, last time we played them at their place, I think it was three years ago, it was a 2-2 draw. Uh, fantastic game, so that'll be a huge one here. Um, the Big 12 slate, uh, we've got five home games this year in the Big 12. Uh, Virginia, Iowa State, um, we've got Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU. So it's uh, it really is a loaded home slate this year. So we're excited for that. And, you know, we have a couple of non-conference games. We go up to St. Louis to play them. We, we played them here this past fall and beat them 2-0. But they're a very good team, um, one of those mid-majors that make the NCAAs every year. So, And we go down to Dallas and play SMU, uh, another really good program. Uh, and we love to play in the Dallas area. I think over half our roster's from Dallas, so it's a nice homecoming for those kids. So lot, lots to be excited for. Um, as far as the team goes, you know, we're really excited about this bunch. You know, we, we graduated JC and Julia, Elise, you know, Goose, Claire. We, we graduated Danny. We graduated a really good group of players. Um, but the returning group are, are pretty special. You know, we got, uh, you know, Grace Yoakum, who – before injury was arguably the best player in the Big 12 at that point in the season last year before she got hurt late. Kim Rodriguez is an All-American defender returning. Uh, we returned Charmaine Morgan, um, who's one of our best players. She'll play right back. Hannah Webb, team captain, is back. Cammie Huddleston will be a senior. We've got Olivia Dowell, who's probably our most talented and gifted player, who'll be back for her sophomore year. Gabriella Coleman, I think, had nine goals last year up front. Um, you know, so all those players I'm probably leaving somebody out but all those players return Ali Jackson the heart of our defense so it's a it's a pretty stacked group and um you know we're, we're really hoping that the season goes ahead as scheduled and we're able to have a, a full stadium because uh I'll tell you what it's a good group of players where you know if we're healthy and get the breaks that we hope to get have a chance to do something pretty special I think yeah, it feels like you've had a really some really talented players and really talented team the last two years, and, and and seasons have kind of been disrupted by injury. Obviously, two seasons ago, you guys were rolling, and then injury <laughs> after injury after injury, and and it just it just fell apart. And then last year, obviously, uh, Yoakum getting hurt at the end of the season, it kind of uh, put a bit of a ceiling on, on on how far you guys could go, which was really disappointing. I mean, it, there's nothing we can do about injuries; they happen. Just how how high do you think the ceiling is on this team for this year? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because last year we were picked seventh uh, in the big 12 going in season. And we felt like we could be a little bit better than that, but you know, you don't say a whole lot at that point. You just kind of roll with it by about mid season. You could tell that this group was very good and we kind of found our, our groove and, you know, had our, a little bit of a swagger, a little bit of confidence going. And um, yeah, you know, losing yokes with about three games to play, um, the amazing thing for our team is we, we continued on and won the Big 12, which was a great achievement, especially without Grace. Um, but you're right, as we got into the NCAs, I think it showed 
know, that, that second round game with Santa Clara, you, you can't be missing arguably, if not your best player, one of your best players and expect to win that game. It's going to make it really, really tough. So, uh, and then of course, Kim got red carded about 20 minutes in. So maybe our two best players weren't on the field. So you can't do anything, but um, you know, looking ahead to next year, I think the biggest challenge for us will be the expectation because uh, we're not going to sneak up on anybody. I think last year we were a little bit under the radar until mid season. Um, that's not going to be the case this year. I think, you know, we'll be ranked probably top 20 going into the season and um, everybody we play is going to give us their best shot. So I think the challenge for this group is to not, you know, be satisfied with winning the big 12 last year and, and doing some great things. The challenge will be, can we be better? Can, can we win the big 12 regular season? Can we go ahead and win the tournament as well? Can we advance maybe sweet 16 and beyond? So, um, you know, probably managing, you know, getting them excited, but managing the, the expectation level of all, you know, they're going to hear a lot of buzz from their parents and their friends and the fans. And we just have to keep them on an even keel and say, remember why you got here and let's, let's focus on those things. I'll say I, I, I'm very excited for this season. Like I said, I, I, I think the ceiling is very high. Uh, I'm, I'm excited because you guys are going to play a game at UCA, which is Central Arkansas, yeah. which is about 40 minutes away from me and a lot closer than Stillwater on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. So I will, I will be there in my orange ready to cheer on uh, you and the team, assuming they're going to allow fans in the stands for it. Who knows? Uh, but I, I am very excited for this season. Uh, just, just last question, obviously, you know, Oklahoma State, part of the Big 12, signing the, the package with, with ESPN+, Plus, meaning that there are more Cowgirl games available for those who want to watch them, um, who, who sign up as part of that package. Um, how much, how, how big do you think that is for the program? Well, I think it's great. I mean, there, there's, there's kind of two pieces to it, I think. The first one is it allows our parents, our current players, families, and friends to watch the game, uh, you know, if they can't make it to water it gives them the opportunity to watch those games I think that's huge um you know we've had players from all over the country and it's not always possible for the folks and and their families to get here so I think it's great the second piece obviously is recruiting you know uh we're able to sell to our kids who are interested in our program hey we've got a big game with A&M tomorrow night you tune in and watch and I know for sure that's helped us in the past uh maybe you can reach some uh, different areas of the country who maybe had heard that your program was pretty good, but, you know, they don't have the opportunity to get to Stillwater and watch you play. Uh, and then they see you on TV with that full stadium and, you know, a big game and, and maybe they see the style of play and like it. So I think boost in, in recruiting and, you know, if, if, like I said, hopefully we'll have crowds in the stadium, but if for some reason there's not, I, I think subscriptions for that ESPN plus deal might go up pretty high at that point. Yeah, I have a feeling they're going to get quite a few people signed up. I will. Um, I enjoy watching you guys a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to to see the team this season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're we're, we're fired up, and you know, I think uh, as we were sort of in April and May, there was a lot of uh, speculation, a lot of negativity about college athletics and what may or may not happen, and all that stuff. And I think that's given way now to a lot more uh, optimistic viewpoint. Um, you know, the kids are supposed to be back July 1. So now all of my energy is focused on, okay, July 1, the kids are back and August 3rd, preseason starts. And, you know, I think, you know, rewinding six weeks, it was more, oh my goodness, are, are our kids going to be able to come back this fall? What's going to happen? So I, I think it's been good. And I know the team are very excited and they're probably fed up getting their, their workouts sent to them by Mal and working <laughs> out on their own in their garage or wherever the heck they are. So 
they're, they're ready to be back as well. I know that. Well, Coach Carmichael, thank you so much for your time tonight. We, we're really excited. Best of luck this season, and we hope to have you on again soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.